Well, if you got your Bibles, you can go ahead and access uh, Ephesians chapter 5. You do that through uh, God's paper word or on your phone, however you access God's word. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with looking up Bible uh, passages, most of the scripture will be on the screen today and you can access it there. We are uh, continuing this series called United and learning how uh, through this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesians, how we unite our life uh, with God and with other people. And we've been focusing on the second half of this book on how we do that with other people. And I would love to stand up here today and say that I am always good at this, that I'm always good at building relationships with other people. But the truth is, I fell at it probably just as much as you do. When you think back over your life, you can probably look at relationships that you're like, man, if I had to do that over, I would have done something a little different. The way I treated them, the way I uh, acted with this person or in this situation, I would have done something different. And maybe uh, you've had some some really tense times in relationships. Maybe you've even gotten in a you know a verbal war with each other, an emotional battle, or maybe even a fist fight. I don't know. In middle school, I got into a fist fight. Now, I probably don't look like the fighting type, but I did. I, it was a guy named Tommy McGinnis. We grew up together. Like well, I've known him since first grade, and it was seventh grade, and we had lockers right beside each other, and it was at a school where there was a top locker and a bottom locker, and we both had bottom lockers, which was not a good thing. Like You didn't enjoy having to bend down and get into the locker. And Tommy and I were good friends, but if we happened to come to the locker at the same time, it was always a fight for who could get in and get their stuff out first. And one day he came and he got there first and I came in and he kind of gave me an elbow and shoved me this way. And I guess I'd had a bad day. And so I just kind of shoved him back. And then all of a sudden, Tommy and I, who were good friends, turned into mortal enemies. Right. I mean, we were like we started just going at each other and we're like fighting, rolling around on the ground. And I'm like, what is even while I'm doing this? I'm like, what is going on? What is happening? And like people are pulling us apart and they're like taking us down to the principal's office. And we both just kind of start laughing it off. And people are like, what are you guys laughing at? We're like, I don't know. We're fighting over a locker. You know, it's like something stupid. But when we look at our lives, how easy is it sometimes for us to just go off the handle? To just all of a sudden, when our desires, our passions, our pursuits get threatened, all of a sudden, we don't care who it is, we're going off on them. And I would love to say that we do this only with those that we view as a threat. But more often than not, we actually do it to those that are closest to us. Those that we hold dear. Maybe our, our spouse says or does something that we don't like and we feel a little threatened by it. And instead of just dealing with it, we start a little war. We start a little war of words or a little emotional battle. We start withholding things to let them know just how we're feeling. Or, or maybe our kids do something. And instead of just saying, hey, you know, that's not the right thing to do. Let's, let's deal with that and move forward. We start, you know, dropping little landmines for them to step into. And we try to create ways for them to learn without us actually teaching them. Or maybe it's even with friends or coworkers. We use, we end up using weapons of war, our emotions, our words, and sometimes even our fists when we feel threatened. And as much as we would love to live out the unity in relationships, we often fall flat in that. Even as I'm speaking this morning, you can probably begin to think of maybe a relationship in your life where maybe you're having a little battle. 
Or maybe you're in a relationship where you're just having an all-out war right now. And what I love about Ephesians is Ephesians speaks in to this. When Paul writes this letter, he writes his entire book, and, and this entire, all six chapters of this book, when it was first presented, would have been communicated in one piece. They would have gathered as a church like we are right now, and somebody would have gotten up and read this passage from Ephesians 1.1 to the end of chapter 6 and would have read the entirety of it. And in the entirety of it, we would see in the first part of it, Paul is talking about how we're united with God, and then it has this abrupt transitions where it says, therefore, and he's basically saying, now what? Now start to live it out. And he says, this is going to live out in your ways in many different kind of movements. And he says, begin to move and act in a way worthy of the gospel. That's the way verse four or chapter four begins, begin to move and act in a manner worthy of the gospel. And that's what we've been looking at the past couple of weeks in these different movements that we make. Two weeks ago, we talked about the first movement in chapter 4. was this called a dance with God. Dance in the truth that God has forgiven you and made you whole. Don't wallow in guilt and shame anymore, but instead dance in this truth and dance in freedom. Last week, we looked at the end of 4 and the beginning of chapter 5, and we looked at the next movement was this movement to climb. Not climb the ladder of success, not to push others down and elevate ourselves, but to climb up so that we can see things the way that God sees them. And we learn to put away a futile, weak mind and embrace a strong, determined mind and to really capture how we think. And now Paul, in the next movement, tells us how this plays out in this kind of relationship and how we interact with each other. And he lays out three examples of relationships. He talks about husbands and wives. He talks about parents and children, and he talks about, in the Bible, it's called bond servants and masters, but the best way it would be described today is more like a boss and employees. Like, these are all relationships that you're probably going to be in at some point in your life. Most people end up in a marriage relationship. Some people have kids. Everybody is somebody's kid. And then most of us work for or have people work for us in our life. And so he lays out these examples, and he says, here's the movement I want to challenge you today. I want you to move to begin to build something. Start building into relationships. I am amazed when I walk around this city. I see buildings going up. I see incredible architecture. And I I am just amazed at how that happens. Like if somebody asked me to build a one-story building, it would be crooked. There's no doubt about it. I have, have no idea how to do that. I remember growing up, I tried to, me and my brother tried to build this treehouse. And uh, we were up, you know, about probably 10 or 15 feet off the ground. And we went up there and we hammered and put everything together. And it looked amazing. It was like I got a wall, I mean, a floor and four walls. And uh, we were proud of this thing. We got a ladder and we sat up there. And as we we decided to spend the night up there, and as we were spending the night up there, we realized the great uh, truth of building. It's better to use screws than nails. And so we had used nails to hold these boards together, and our weight over the night eventually pulled the boards apart, and in the middle of the night, we crashed to the ground out of this treehouse. And I learned there, I am not Bob the Builder. That's not who I am. Like, I'm not good at that. But you know what God calls each of us to do? He calls us to build into relationships. Relationships don't just happen. They take intentional investment, persistent care, and a long-term outlook. 
It's not just with a husband and a wife. It's with children. It's with friendships. It's in any kind of relationship. We must make intentional investment, persistent care, and have a long-term outlook. And that's what Paul does in these verses. He takes some great examples of relationships and says, learn from these. Create these. These are your foundation. These are your fence posts, basically, that you need to build into relationships. And so let's look at these very quickly. I want to read through just pieces of it, and then we're going to go back and look. Ephesians 5.22 says this. It's the first example. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. The example he looked, lays out there is the idea of respect. We're going to come back and talk about that. Then he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave him up self, himself up for her. The key idea there is to love. That's an idea we're going to come back and look at. Ephesians 6.1 says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. This is right. Honor your father and mother. The key idea there is to honor. It's an idea we're going to come back and look at. And then it's verse 4, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The key word there is to encourage. We need to encourage in relationships. We'll look at that. Verse 5 says this, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. The key word there is to serve. We've got to build service into our relationships. And finally, in verse 9, it says, Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. And the key idea is there is to defend one another. And that's an idea that we're going to come back and look at. And as Paul lays out these relationships and these six key ideas, he understands. He has this beautiful He's just this amazing masterpiece with writing, and he helps us understand something. He says, as, as we want respect, respect and love are connected. He says, as, he's like, he used an example. Let's, let's look at a family. In a, in a marriage, women desire respect, or men desire respect, women desire love, and these two are connected. As somebody gives respect, love is given back. As somebody gives love, respect is given back. And so it's this cycle that plays out. And then he says, you know, like, let's look at parents and children. There's another cycle that plays out. It's a cycle of honor and encouragement. Somebody wants encouragement, so they, they desire honor. They give honor, they get encouragement back. You give encouragement, you give honor back. And then look at a boss and an employee. It's this idea of serving and defending. As you serve someone, you want them to have your back. You want them to defend you. And as you defend someone, you want them to serve. You, it's these three cycles that play out. But what happens in relationships and why we end up fighting and why we end up at war with each other is because we break these cycles. So let's think about it from a marriage relationship for a minute. I know in mine and Katie's relationship, this plays out often. I, I did the number one desire that I have through our relationship is respect. I love it when, when I'm shown respect. I know for Katie, it's love. She loves to feel love. She asks me all the time, why do you love me? And I'm like, well, I just do. And she's like, no, tell me a reason. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is going to get me in trouble somehow. Like, you know, it's like, is this reason? And so I just learned, you know, it's too many reasons to tell. But she really wants like a specific reason. And so here's what happens. We get angry at each other. Let's say I do something to Katie. All right. And so she feels like I'm withholding love from her. 
You know what she starts to do sometimes? She starts to then withhold respect from me. And if she's not feeding me respect, you know what I'm not giving her? Love. And if I start withholding my love from her, you know what she's not giving back to me? Respect. And so it's this crazy cycle. It plays out in other ways as too. You want honor? Then you, you want somebody to honor you? Then you encourage them. If you break that cycle and you wait for somebody to encourage you before you honor them, it's not going to happen. Same thing with service and defending one another. Here's the idea. If we aren't investing in one another, if we aren't creating what others long for, we're actually strangling the source of what we desire the most. If I desire respect, you know what I need to be pouring out all the time? Love. If I desire for people to serve, and I need somebody to serve, you know what I need to be pouring out all the time? Is I need to be defending them. I need to have their best in mind. If I want encouragement, I need to be honoring someone. It's this cycle that plays out. And these examples that we're going to look at today are not specific just to wives, just to husbands, just to parents, children, boss, and employees. These are examples to lay out these six posts that we need to live by. So let's jump in and look at these right quick today. The number one was this, respect. So again, Ephesians 5, 23 said this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and he himself its savior. So respect comes through submission. I want to be very clear. This is not a passage that to me is limiting or demeaning toward women or elevating men. It's not at all what Paul is doing here. He's giving an example. He's like, look, in a marriage relationship, how a wife so sometimes naturally submits to the husband, that's a great example of what we ought to do in relationships. Paul is saying, look and see how this wife does that. It is a great example. And one of the key lessons we can learn is the ability and willingness to submit and respect someone else is not a sign of weakness. It is actually a sign of tremendous strength. To be able to submit yourself and respect someone else is not you laying down and letting somebody trample over you. It is a sign of strength that you have the ability and willingness to do that. Some of the weakest people I know in this world emotionally and and relationally are people who will never submit to anybody else. And this is an example. So how do we build respect into our relationships? A couple of thoughts that lays out here. Be attentive. Consider others' needs and wants. Actually be attentive in a relationship. Don't always think about yourself, but engage fully in the relationship. Be supportive of one another. Believe the best about other people. This is sometimes one of the hardest things to do in relationships is to believe the best about others instead of thinking that everybody else is out to get you. Believe the best. And then third is be sincere. Let this idea of submitting come from a sincere heart, not out of obligation. Don't act like you feel some way. If you don't, be honest and sincere. The ability to respect someone boils down to being attentive, supportive, and sincere. It's looking at them and being able to show them respect. Think about a relationship that may be hurting right now. You lacking respect for that person? Maybe that's a foundation that hasn't been built yet. Look at the second one, love. He talks here, he gives the example of husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her with a washing of water with the word. And so the second foundation, the second kind of fence post that he lays out here is love through sacrifice. Paul is using this idea of a godly husband 
and his example of how he loves his wife and sacrifices for his wife is an example of how you and I ought to live in relationship. This passage talks about how this is not a love based simply on physical or attraction or selfish desires, but a love that goes to the very core of your soul. And it's expressed through personal sacrifice and investment in other people. So how do we do that? A couple of things to think about here, about how we build love into our relationships. One, love really isn't love unless it's first sacrificial. Love sacrificially. Jesus' example here, the, the idea that Paul brings up is love as Christ loved the church. It was to love sacrificially. It's going to cost us time, energy, effort, and resources. Love unconditionally. And this is tough as well, but it's not a love based on what others can do for you or what even their response is. I don't love Katie because she loves me back. I love Katie. I don't love PJ and Natalie because they love me back and because I just love them. I'm not perfect at it, but I try to love unconditionally. And then the third is this, love perpetually, always. This is not a love of convenience. It's not, you know, a love that, you know, changes with circumstances. It's perpetual. It's daily. It's this idea that this love doesn't diminish. It grows. That's the example. He's saying as you build into relationships, build respect, build love. The third thing he tells us to build is in Ephesians 6, 1 and 2. And we look at this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. This is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment that comes with a promise. And so the idea here is to honor through obedience. Whether whether you're a child or a parent or you're just in a friendship, relationship, a boss, whatever the relationship is, there will come a time that you have to honor someone through obedience, that you choose to honor them. Honor is actually one of the quickest ways that you can bring peace back into a relationship. If you feel a relationship is going sour or going south, Usually honoring that person, honoring them through obedience and say, what can I do to make this better, actually brings peace back into a relationship. So how do we honor in a relationship? Here are some thoughts that come out of this. One, be willing to listen. Listen is more than hear. It's actually learning to receive well. Actually listen to somebody. One of the challenges I struggle with all the time is when I'm in a conversation is to not I've got to stop and actually listen instead of thinking about what I'm going to say next. You ever struggle with that? You're in a con- you're like, okay, I know what they're going to say. They're just a little wordy right now, so I'm going to think about what I'm going to say next. And then you're like talking, and they're like, yeah, I'm not really listening to him. I'm going to think about what I – and we don't really listen to each other. I'm going to call out somebody here. She may get mad at me. But Savannah yesterday was walking with PJ home, and – they were, she told me this story, and so uh, PJ was telling her, like, what all he was doing today and all this, what it, you know, the rest of his day entailed and all this stuff, and I guess she was thinking somewhere else, so they get upstairs, and they were coming into the apartment, and so she, the question she asked PJ, she was like, so what are you doing the rest of the day? Like, it just, she was, and he looked at her, and she was like, oh, no, 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 I, I did hear, I just, that's what I was supposed to say, I guess, you know, and we do that so often. You know, we, you know, how are you doing? Great. You too. You know, we just say things that we don't even, nobody's even asking us a question and we're giving answers to. Listen intently. Be willing to listen, but then not just listen, but learn. Be willing to learn. Honor is acknowledging that someone knows more than you. And it doesn't have to be somebody that's older than you. I learned so many times things from my kids. And I honor my kids 
by being able to listen and learn from them. I learn from people that are brand new in the faith and are just now followers of Christ. I learn so many things from them. Honoring is being willing to learn, to not think that you got it all down. Be teachable. But honoring is also not just listening and learning, but it's being willing to obey as well. And that's where we put correction and direction into practice. It's not just taking correction and go, yeah, 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 I did it wrong, you know, I should do better. And, you know, here's something you can do. Okay, yeah, that's something I can do. It's not just being able to mimic those words and say, I know what I did wrong and I know what I should do instead. Being willing to obey is actually putting those into practice. It's actually making it happen. The best way that you honor somebody is by actually putting a change into practice. The fourth thing is this. It's found in Ephesians 6.4. It talks about not just children obeying them, but now fathers do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so the next idea that we got a defense post we got to put in is encouragement through development. Paul uses an example of a parent, parent to show us the need to encourage in relationships. Without encouragement, encouragement, relationships will wilt and die. They will. If you are not encouraging whoever you're in a relationship with, that relationship will wilt and die. Literally, encouragement, uh, a relationship without encouragement is like a bed without a mattress. Something that shouldn't bring comfort actually brings pain. Encouragement is sometimes softens difficult things or it raises people up when they're challenged and when they're hurting. And that's why it says don't provoke your children to anger. Don't bring discomfort there, but instead bring discipline and instruction built up. So how do we do this? You know, because encouragement is not just correcting behavior. It's actually creating a nourishing place for people to grow. A couple of things to think about is when you are trying to encourage people, understand people individually. The way that I encourage one person may not be the way that I encourage somebody else. Some people love to hear words. Some people love to be given gifts. Some people just need a hug. People receive encouragement in different ways. Know people individually. And then praise people specifically. You know, it's easy to say, good job. You did a good job. But instead of saying that, why don't you tell them what they what was good about the job they did? Be specific. Not just, hey, that was great, but here's what was great about the way that you did that. Praise specifically and then invest continually. Continually invest in people's life. We're never done encouraging. We are never done. It is an ongoing practice. Number five is this, and this is where it talks about bond servants and masters, so workers and bosses. It says, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you work Christ. And it's this idea that we should serve with humility. In relationships, we've got to learn to serve. Serving each other is what adds depth to a relationship. There are people that I'm acquaintances with, people that I like to hang out with, maybe go to the movie with, but the people that I'm in deep relationship with are people that I'm serving and they're serving me. We do things for one another. It's not just me asking them to do something or them always asking something of me. It is this idea that we are serving one another. And that's what takes a relationship from a surface level to a real depth. So we have the adapt, desire and ability to serve. And so how do we put this into practice? And the first thing is this. Be fearful of not serving. 
when you realize, when you're in a relationship and this idea of like, I don't want to do this for this person. When that starts to creep in, something's up. You ought to be fearful of that. You ought to ask yourself why. You know, if Katie asked me to do something for her and I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. Why is that? What is going on that would make me want to withhold that from her? We should be fearful of that. Fearful when we don't see it happening. But second is this, we should be sincere in serving. I shouldn't be serving to get ahead in the scorecard. You know, to be like, okay, I'm going to do the dishes a couple of times so that when it comes time to walk the dog this evening, I can pull that trump card and be like, oh, you know, oh, yeah, it is time to take Pepe out, but I emptied and loaded the dishwasher, so boom, you're it. You know, we, we serve that way sometimes, don't we? I mean, I, I think we, I don't think anybody actually has this, but I feel like sometimes in our house we have this scorecard in our kitchen where we're like, you know, who's, who's up because whoever's down at the end of the night has to take Pepe out at 10 o'clock. You know, and everybody rushes to get in their pajamas. They're like, oh, I can't, I can't, you know, no, like, yeah, you can, you know. So it's like we, we, don't, we don't serve sincerely. Or you come back from taking the dog out and you like slam the door, wake everybody else up. And like, oh, I took the dog out, you know. That's not sincere. It's this idea that we should serve sincerely, that I want to do this. And then finally be focused in your serving. Serve out of remembrance instead of expectation. It's not expecting knowing what you're going to get for doing this. It's remembering why you are doing this. So serve out of remembrance instead of expectation. The last thing is this, and we'll close with this thought. It's found in Ephesians 6, 9. It says, Master, do the same with them. Stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours in heaven, and there is no partiality in him. It's this idea that we should defend through protection. Paul uses the example of a boss who doesn't take advantage uh, or sacrifice those that work for him. Instead, be willing to stand up knowing that somebody has your back, nobody, that somebody has your interest in mind. It's not getting blindsided and be like, what? I didn't know that was coming. You knew that about the situation you didn't tell me? If any of you watch Survivor on TV, it's that moment when someone doesn't know they're getting voted out and all of a sudden the votes start coming in and they start looking around like, you guys knew this and nobody told me? It's like this idea of you just completely getting blindsided. And it's this idea of defending is, like I said, having one another's back where you can't see all the way around you. Somebody is looking out for you in areas that you can't see. My brother and I growing up, we, uh, our parents would go out. He, Jay's three years older than me. And so they'd often, like when we were 10, 13, they would leave us at the house by ourselves. And uh, we made the mistake one time of watching a scary movie. And uh, we were scared out of our minds. And we heard some noise outside. It was probably some tree, you know. And we just had assumed that Freddy Krueger was coming in the house, you know. I mean, we knew he was outside. And so we go, we had two doors. We had our back door and our front door. And so we go into our kitchen, and we both grab steak knives, and we sit back to back. He's looking out the front door. I'm looking out the back door, like just waiting for whoever's out there to come popping in. But we had each other's backs. Like if somebody came in the front door, he's going to let me know. If somebody came in the back door, I'd let him know. I wasn't worried that way. And you know, we heard somebody come in the door and our, our parents walk in and find us sitting there with night. They're like, what is going on? And we're like, oh, you're home. We're safe, you know. So it's, but it's this idea 
that, you know, sometimes you get scared. You don't know how to handle things, and you've got to have somebody to have your back. That's defending. And the way we do that is by ex expressing support. Instead of finding ways to reprimand people, find ways to grow people. It's not enough to tell somebody what they did wrong. Help them grow. And then stop exercising authority. It's not about showing who's in charge, but what we can do to build each other. Don't leave people behind. And then finally, don't exaggerate differences. Instead of highlighting what is different or personal deficiencies in others, find ways to connect and stand on common ground with one another. So my question for the day is this. Where is this relationship fence broken down for you? Where is it that you're lacking? What environment is lacking? I can almost guarantee that most issues that we deal with in relationships can be traced back to one of these core issues. Maybe you're having problems in your marriage right now, and you can trace it back to a lack of honoring one another, a lack of loving or serving. Maybe you're just really challenged in your relationship with your children right now, and you can take that back to, like, just everybody is at each other's throats because we're not defending each other. We're attacking each other. Maybe at work. you got to stop waiting for everybody to serve you, and you actually have to start encouraging people. I don't know what it is, but I can tell you when relationships are not united, when we're not moving forward, when they start to fall apart, it's because we're not guarding these. When we withhold any portion of these, you are all, you're impacting your life as much as you're impacting somebody else's. Before we pray, I want to challenge you today. Would you commit not only to dance as God called us to in this truth that he's forgiven us, not only to climb to see things from his perspective, but today, would you commit to building into relationships so that we can show others and be a great example of what those who are in love with Christ and in love with one another, what true peace and true meaning looks like in relationship. Let's pray together.